everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church. In light of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been live streaming our services on Sundays at 9 a.m. We'd love to have you join us at highpointchurch.org live. This past Sunday, we had an Ask Me Anything time or AMA time with Nick where we asked questions about the sermon and he had 90 seconds to answer each one. We couldn't get to all of the questions on Sunday, so in this episode, Nick and Jill are following up on those questions. Before we begin, we're going to be doing this AMA time with Nick again tomorrow, April 5th, at the end of the service. So join us at highpointchurch.org live, and you'll be able to ask your questions live. If we don't get to your question, please send it to us at podcast at highpointchurch.org, and we can make more episodes like this one. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Engagement Equip Podcast. I'm Jill. I'm here with Nick. And um, since we've been not able to meet as a congregation because of the coronavirus, we've been doing live stream services. And last week we did Ask Me Anything with Nick at the end of the service and we got a bunch of questions, but we have more. So we are going to go into some of those questions this morning. Did you want to say anything before we start, Nick? Not really. I know. I We're still going to experiment with the Q&A a little bit more with the services, but... Okay. Um, yeah, but this is a good opportunity for that. Yeah. So the first question we have is, as truth seekers, how do we navigate the influx of information we can choose or expose to? Um, yeah, one of the most fundamental problems in knowing in the modern world, modern world is not finding knowledge, but excluding knowledge, right? So if you lived in 2000 BC, you couldn't afford books. It was hard to get education. It was hard to access knowledge. Now the issue is like, there's all this stuff thrown at you. So um, first is doing some work to determine who is even trying to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, not just to say things that aren't lies, but to actually tell the truth as it is in relationship to other things and proportionately and with non-tribally, I guess, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so paying attention over time to the character of people involved in these things, ultimately you end up deciding on who you're going to listen to, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, you can't, you're believe. yeah, you can't be part of every field. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so th- there's a few things that you can do. One is you can pay attention over time to who seems to tell the truth impartially, who seems to be driven by a very strong moral code. They're not saying things because they're part of the tribe, but they're saying what they think is true. You know, Mm -hmm. whoever accepts them or doesn't. Um, People who actually have real educations and the things they're talking about. People who are more scientific rather than pundit-like. You know, and usually what that means is is they won't be 100% consistent along ideological lines. Usually they'll be like, well, yeah, there's this, but there's that. Because the the world is more complicated than tribalism. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, I try to focus on sources of information that are more focused, that are not in the public view as much. So they don't have the same kind of public pressures. So I really like, um, I really like information from think tanks that are studies. Mm-hmm. I think news reports tend to be very misleading, even when they're done by competent journalists. So sometimes like with COVID-19, right, we need stuff that's real time. Like how many cases are there in Manhattan right. and blah, blah, blah. What's the law right now and so on. Mm-hmm. But a, a good example is like, um, are the police in America racist? I don't think you can learn that from the news. Mm-hmm. 
in a country of 350 million people with all these different police in lots of different areas with all kinds of different racial makeups and so on, you'd have to have so many news sources, but you could never hold them all in your mind at the same time. And, and of course the news source doesn't say everything and you don't actually get the news source after the trial has been completed and what's a fact and what's not a fact has been substantiated through a certain rigor or any of that. You just have like this happened. Mm-hmm. So like when I want it, when I ask the question, like what is policing like in this country for different racial groups? I don't listen to the news. I look at different think tanks that have done like, studies like diachronical studies through time with large samples and blah 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 because that's mm-hmm. the only way to get something close to something similar to the truth and mm-hmm. also in those contexts those things get debated back and forth more vigorously so yeah yeah so i would say either you find people you feel like you can trust mm-hmm. and or go to sources that are more focused on telling the truth in a dispassionate way and that are not maybe not receiving the pressures or better standing up to the pressures. And if you're, if you're listening to something and it's highly entertaining and it just feels gratifying to listen to it, it's probably not what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, And we, we did talk more about that in, especially relating to news and media in the episode, how should Christians engage in politics? So you can listen uh more on that in that episode. Um, Um, are you ready to dive into question two or did you have yeah. more? Yeah. And well, I would also say just limit if you're, if you're the kind of person who would naturally be a news junkie, I would say just mm-hmm. limit your exposure period. Yeah. Um, that's most good. people dramatically overexpose themselves to news and media. If you think about being an educated person, there is education and that and there, and that's different than media. Media mm-hmm. is usually time sensitive by nature. Education usually is not time sensitive by nature. I would encourage be- people to be about 80%, 20% to education rather than media. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And most people are the other way. Especially with smartphones. Yeah. We, and like we just look at it the first thing when we wake up usually. Yeah, so it is. Yeah. Like, it, one of the mm-hmm. ways you can prove this is I have an app called Pocket, which allows mm-hmm. you to look at news stories and stuff on the internet and save it to a reading device. Right, so that I can go back later and read these stories. So I don't read them in real time. I save them in a pocket. And then mm-hmm. when I want to read just media, I go in a pocket and I read news stories. Six out of 10, I never read. Because by the time I actually have the time to read them, I don't care to read them anymore. Right. Because they don't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I just delete them and I never read them. It does waste my time. That's almost yeah. never true with educational books I select to read. I'm always mm-hmm. wishing I could get to them. But what ends up happening with most people is they waste all their time reading media instead of reading education. And so mm-hmm. I would say read more books and less media. Mm-hmm. Be more careful about the books you select. Only read them if multiple people who you respect encouraged you to read them. Be very selective mm-hmm. in what you read. And then read those and spend your time doing that. And then you'll be fine. It'll make you much less anxious, much more knowledgeable, much more balanced, much less reactive, much deeper as a person. Yeah. That's good. All right. Question two. Uh, Either way, I am a slave, either a slave of sin or a slave of God, right? Is the only difference that I believe or feel the Holy Spirit. So I think this this person asking this question is Romans seven and eight. Yeah. Romans seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yes and no is the answer to the question. So, so the, in Romans seven, what Paul is arguing is this, this person who knows about God, but who, who is not experiencing the mind of the spirit yet is, is struggling between the 
the mind that is set on the law, which feels enslaved to the flesh, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so in the pre-salvation state, you're a slave to the flesh. Mm-hmm. And then it says, in my mind, in the end of chapter seven, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. Or in the inner man, I delight in God's law, right? And so what this person is saying is he's saying, like literally what it says in the text is that I'm enslaved to the flesh. But once I know the law, and then I'm in my mind, I become enslaved to God's law. But that's not really supposed to be what holds me. Later, I'm supposed to be essentially, quote, enslaved to the spirit or belong mm-hmm. to the spirit or under the law of the spirit. And so what you're saying is, is that I'm, I am a, quote, slave either way. And the answer is both yes and no. So my kids are homeschooled and my wife is a homeschool tutor. And one of the things, the exercises that they do in relationship to analogy is they go through different analogies and they say strong analogy, weak analogy, strong analogy, weak analogy, right? Um, And so part of what you're looking at here is the analogy of slavery to sin is a stronger analogy than the analogy of slavery to being in the spirit. Mm -hmm. So, because remember, being a slave and being under law are also analogous in the passage. So, for example, right. if the government says, I can't urinate in public places, I'm under that law. I have to obey it. It's not my choice, right? If I, um, if I do it, I can go to jail or be cited as though I were under the full authority of the law, right? So, am I mm-hmm. a slave to the government? Right. Like, for example, there's some political libertarians that believe that if you're forced to pay taxes, you are what you worked to earn is being taken by the government. That it means they're forcing you to work for them for that amount of time. You didn't volunteer to do it and you entered into no volitional agreement for it. Therefore, to that extent, you are their slave. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is impeccable logic. <laughs> I mean, it's true. that That's true. But the, the question is, is that what slavery is? Right. Yeah, and so the analogy between between sin and the law and the spirit is that the law has authority over you, and so you have an obligation to obey it. To that extent, you are under its authority, and you don't get to pick and be like, "Well, I don't want the authority. I don't want. I don't want it." You don't really get to do that. And so, slavery and being under law and delighting in something so much that you will do what it says are all going to constrain your behavior completely. In that sense, they are all a form of doulos, or the Greek idea of being a bond servant, being bonded to another in devotional in devotion, but also under their authority, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in relationship to sin, that's very different than the law, which is very different than the spirit. Under the law, you are literally a slave to the flesh in that it is treating you oppressively like a slave master and beating you to death. It is killing you and stealing Mm -hmm. your life like slavery in the worst kind of analogy, right? Mm -hmm. Under the law, it's taking authority in a way that is forcing you to obey it and over time is degrading you because you can't live up to it and you find yourself in a state of wretchedness, which is fairly analogous to slavery. In relationship to the spirit, you have an obligation to the spirit, but also by being awakened by the spirit, you delight in the things the spirit wants. So what the spirit makes you do is what you actually want to do and delight in doing. Now, Mm -hmm. nobody would say that because they're obligated to do the thing that they delight to do, 
that they suffer under the oppression of slavery. And so the answer to that question is yes and no. Am I a slave either way? Yes. You are a, quote, bond servant, or you're bonded under obedience to the authority of either the spirit or the flesh. In that Mm -hmm. sense, it's an analogy that goes both ways and is true both ways. But Mm -hmm. it's a strong analogy in relationship to the flesh and a weak analogy in relationship to the spirit. And we're supposed Mm -hmm. to kind of pick that up emotionally and intuitively as we read through that. Does that make sense? So I think if if the questioner is saying, well, I'm just a slave either way. Yes, but one is a, is a, is that you are enslaved to that which you delight in because it's good, true, and beautiful, and you embrace it with all your heart. And the other is a slavery that kills you, destroys your humanity, and sucks out mm-hmm. your life unto damnation. So they're mm-hmm. the same, and completely different. Right. And the the question, the second part of the question is: Is the only difference that I believe or feel the Holy Spirit? Right. Um, My answer is therefore no. Yeah. There okay. are many more differences than that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think we'll get into that more in the next sermons as we continue looking at Romans 8 and yeah, also. We will. Oh, we will maybe, some. Yeah. Some of the devotional podcasts. Hopefully, also the devotional podcasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Three. Can, can you clarify your point, which stated that justification isn't the same thing as salvation? Yes. Justification isn't the same thing as salvation. Okay, so first of all, the word justification in the Bible is used in a couple of different ways. So in the book of James, for example, the word justification is used in a way that seems to mean all of salvation. And in the writings of the Apostle Paul, especially in the book of Romans, he uses the word justification to mean specifically counted just and right before God. In Romans 3, he says, a righteousness has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. That is, that righteousness is a standard of being counted right. And that is applied to you. So you are counted as right in right standing. Mm -hmm. So if somebody accuses you, justification is the refutation of accusation. So you're accused and then that defense justifies you. Does that make sense? So justification mm-hmm. is, is is having the standing of being in full refutation of everything that accuses you and having right standing before the one who judges, right? A righteousness has been made apart, apart from law. That's justification. Well, I'm just simply saying there's more to salvation than that. Mm-hmm. There is That's only a, a part of salvation right. then. What justification is your legal standing before God. Regeneration mm-hmm. is the fact that God gives you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. There is a supernatural, emotional, and inter in and interpersonal transformation that is wrought about through supernatural strength by the Holy Spirit that makes you capable of receiving all of salvation, regeneration. That's not the same thing as justification, right? Glorification, that you'll be raised from the dead, given a new body and exist in the presence, being able to experience the glory of God forever. Glorification. That's not the same thing as justification. Being able to stand in present grace, that God gives you the strength to stand in the present facing everything and persevering through all and being more than a conqueror, that's not the same thing as justification. And Mm -hmm. so on. So no one can be saved according to the scriptures without experiencing justification, without receiving justification. All who are saved must be justified. And many of the things that happen in salvation come through justification. That when we're justified, we gain a legal standing that allows for full reconciliation. When we're reconciled to God, that allows for us to have union with Christ through union with the Holy Spirit. And many of the things that happen in salvation come through union with the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And that can only come through justification. Mm 
right? So therefore, justification is sort of the entrance. It's the doorway into the rest of salvation. It sometimes even stands for all of salvation. So in some way, justification is everything. And in another way, it's just part of a much wider salvation. The reason why that's important is because if you just think justification is salvation, you could end up thinking of salvation as a very narrow thing. I'm counted right with God. So when I die and face the judgment seat of Christ, I'll be counted righteous so I can go into heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? But salvation is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. To receive the spirit now, to be reconciled to God, to be in union with Christ, to have the authority to do spiritual things, to be free from the power of sin. All of those things are part of salvation. To be part of the body of Christ, to be to hope presently in the future glory of God, to be right to boast in the fact that you belong to Christ and that that's your full identity rather than in some other thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for people to be able to embrace the whole of the gospel, the whole of salvation, everything God has done, the full inheritance, because it also bring you much greater joy. And depending on the problem you're having in your human life, justification may or may not be the right answer for it. If you feel desperately alone, justification isn't really the full answer to that. Justification mm-hmm. leading to reconciliation and therefore union with Christ, that the spirit is with you and you're never really alone. That is the answer. And therefore mm-hmm. you need more. Oh. Yes? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, move on to the next thing. Oh, you know I'm, what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, number four. What does wide strength look like as opposed to the narrowness implied in Proverbs twenty four? Do you want me to read that verse? Yeah, sure. Do you have yeah, right okay. There? I can. I will. I will get to it. Oh, right, because of the, the uh, that was what I quoted at the very beginning. Right. Yeah. So Nick started with this at the beginning of his sermon. Um, Proverbs twenty four. Do you know the verse, Nick, off the top of your head? Oh, I found it. Okay, Proverbs twenty four ten. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength, or how narrow is your strength? Some translations say that. So, none of them. None of the translations actually say that. That's my translation. Oh, so Nick's translation. The, the ESV <laughs> says, "If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small." Yeah, right. I'm or reading if you from falter the in NIV times of trouble. 1984. Yeah, how small is your strength? The mm-hmm. NIV, the new NIV says, "If you falter in time, a time of trouble, how small is your strength?" Mm-hmm. Um, or your strength is so. The new New American Standard says, "If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited." Right. So the word means narrow or limited. So I, I think the reason why the New American Standard is a more literal translation generally. The reason why I thought it was helpful to say that is because if what, what I find with people is as long as they are in control of their life, as long as they can control their environment, they could be strong. They could mm-hmm. be the kind of person they want to be, at least on the outside. But if you take them out of their element and you put them somewhere else or you mess with where they are, they all, a lot of people fall apart. They get moody. They start attacking people. They feel insecure. Like all the worst of them comes out. And mm-hmm. what they, what you find is, is that uh, it's very terrifying to realize how much of what you think is you being strong or being mature is really just a function of you being in control. Mm-hmm. And so what the proverb is saying is, is that if in the day, if when things go wrong, you falter, your strength was never really that broad. It was never really that multi-applicational. Like as long as you kept things narrowly the way you wanted, you were strong. But the minute you couldn't control it, all of a sudden we find out you have a hundred weaknesses. So what wide strength would look like would be a substantial strength that is not 
dependent on the ability mm-hmm. to control your environment. That you could find yourself in multiple different kinds of environments. All kinds of different things could happen to you. You could be in different sorts of situations and you'd be basically the same person. Mm-hmm. That would be a wide strength. Now, you might not be very strong in any situation, right? That would be to be not very strong, but to have a wide strength. Or you could be really amazing, but only in a certain situation, right? That mm-hmm. would be a narrow strength. So what we mm-hmm. want is to have a wide strength and a strong strength. Right. Right. Both high mm-hmm. volume and breath. And so um, so situations like this, when, when we're like quarantined at home or whatever, anything like this that like shakes the bottle of your life to see what spills out is a good test. Because if you find yourself struggling right now, it may be that you're not as strong as you thought and mm-hmm. that you've got more to work on. And that a lot of what was keeping you normal was your ability to control your life. And that is a beautiful realization that is a gift from God to embrace. Mm-hmm. Because now you can say, oh, wait, what I needed to work on in my life isn't what I thought it was. It's actually something much more elementary. And the good news is there's a ton of stuff in Scripture that God wants to teach you about that thing. Mm-hmm. right? And so you can, you can focus on it. So, so that's how I would define a broad strength. That in any situation, you're the same person. You have the same strength. Yeah, that that's sense? good. Yep. And then five, is God a man? Yeah, because we we were talking about how Romans 6 says that because Jesus was truly man and truly died a death, that death could be imputed to us. And so sometimes when you talk about the full humanity of Christ, people say, well, then is God a man? Now, Mm -hmm. usually that objection comes from skeptical people or people who are being cranks. So, so that that's a very common objection from people who are Muslims hmm. because the idea that God became human is just completely anathema to the Islamic mind. Mm-hmm. However, there are other things in Islam where they believe that things are 100% earthly, but 100% divine. So when a Muslim asks me, is God a man? I, what I say back is, is the Quran a book? Because Muslims believe that the Holy Quran in its perfect Arabic, existed in eternity past in the mind of Allah, and therefore is not just a book. And yet, mm-hmm. it is a book you can hand somebody and they can read. Mm-hmm. It's true book, but it's also true word in a much deeper sense, right? Well, it, Muslims believe in the incarnation of the book from the word, right? In that sense, Christians believe that same thing about the incarnation, that the mm-hmm. son of God of eternity past, who is true God, became a man to do the work of Jesus, the Christ and to be Mm -hmm. Jesus. Like there's Jesus can be a lot more than a man. Right. Right. So if is God a man, does that mean merely a man? The answer is no. Um, Now this question is the Christian theology is more subtle than people think because some Christians would just say, well, yeah, but um, Christians believe in the true humanity of Jesus Christ meaning that mm-hmm. everything that makes up what a human truly is, Jesus assumed or took on to himself in addition to what he is as God. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, the Christ is the God man. He's fully divine and fully human. Now the philosophy of how all that must interact with each, all these things interact with each other metaphysically, no one has ever really fully worked out. Nor, and nor I maybe can we. We will. <laughs> right? No, because, because yeah. this is a, this is a, uh, a tenant of revelation, not of not of derivation, right? Anything mm-hmm. you derive philosophically, well, if A, then B, 
if A then B and A then C, then A then A implies C, right? Modus, you know, modus tollens or something like that. Like if, if you have a logic and you derive something, then you have to be able to explain it to believe in it. But if I tell you I grew up in Watertown, New York, and you believe it, and somebody says, Well, how do you how do you derive that Nick grew up in Watertown? You're like, Well, I, I I don't know it because I saw it or I invest. I know it right. because I believed somebody who told me credibly. Mm-hmm. Christians believe the doctrine of the incarnation on the basis of people's experience of it and their transmission of those truths and that they have been revealed by the Christ himself, Jesus, and by the inscripturation of those events, right? And what we are mm-hmm. taught in the scriptures. So we believe it as a, as, as a tenet of revelation. And so it's not something we have to prove. It's something we were told by a credible source. The argument is, is the source credible? Not, can you derive it from nothing? Right. Does that make sense? And, and will so, you believe it? Right. Yeah. And the proof of it isn't that I can philosophically work out how God can be man. The proof is, is that a man who died was risen from the dead as the divine God-man. And because mm-hmm. of the event of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus— we can believe and hold credible the belief in the true humanity of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Nowhere in the whole Bible does the scripture attempt to philosophically work out exactly what it means that God was made man. It's treated like mystery everywhere. And, and vague language is intentionally used. And that could mm-hmm. either mean it's stupid, like skeptics believe, or it could mean that it's properly profound as the religious believe, right? G.K. Mm-hmm. Chesterton once said that there are four or five mysteries of Christian faith that to the skeptical mind make no sense. And if you accept them by faith, the whole world makes sense. And if you don't, nothing makes sense. Hmm. And one of those was the incarnation of Christ in the God, the God man. Another was Mm -hmm. the interplay of human free will and God's divine providence. Another Mm -hmm. is God is Trinity. He's one God in three persons. All of those are kind of like, what is that? How do you even work right. that out and the answer is you don't god asserts it to be true mm-hmm. and you believe him and then mm-hmm. as lewis said i don't believe in the sun because i look at the sun i believe in the sun because it illuminates everything else and by it i can see other things and so um the answer to the question is god man the way i would answer it would be different based on who's asking right but the answer is God in the person of Jesus Christ, of, of the Son who existed in eternity past, assumed or took on flesh and is and was and is true, truly a human, truly a human man, is mm-hmm. fully man, while not being diminished and being fully God. That mm-hmm. is the doctrine of the incarnation that all Christians must hold, or Christianity mm-hmm. makes no sense. But when you say, is God a man, that assumes only a man, which is absolutely not what Christians believe. And Christians right. would find completely anathema, just entirely wrong mm-hmm. and damnably wrong. Yeah. All right. There it is. Yeah. That, we, we did it. All right. We'll, if you have more questions, you can email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. And um, hopefully we'll have some more time in the future sermons too as well. So thanks for your questions and we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Bye guys. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. 
If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.